We're going through the seven churches uh, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, talking about how Christ wrote to those churches and that his letter to those churches are very necessary and important for us today. And so as we go into the third church, which is the church to, or the letter to the church at Pergamos, I want to preach to you today on the title, Truth, the Roadmap to Your Destination. I want to give a little plug about this evening at 5 o'clock, 3D Life Recovery will be meeting right here at 5 p.m. Amen? We are using the idea of 3D to talk to people about life recovery. Your decision plus your discipline equals your destination. And if you have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, this is going to be for you, which I believe pretty well covers all of us. Amen? So we'd love to see you here. James Littlemeyer is going to give his testimony and story tonight, and we just can't wait to be with you at 5 p.m. Today... Right now, we're going to do a little 3D ourselves today, looking at the letter to Pergamos in Revelation 2, 12 through 17. If you have an outline, you might want to get ready to start with. There's a few fill-ins, and I'm going to go rather fast. So if you miss something, come back and see us later, and we'll make sure we fill that in for you. But I really feel compelled to talk to you about the importance of truth in your life. Because you're either living by the truth, which is going to have one destination, or you're living by a lie, which is going to have another. And nobody in this room came in here today saying, I just love the lie and I can't wait to see what the lie is going to do for me. Because the lie is destructive. The lie comes from Satan. The lie is going to take life from you. The truth gives life to you. And when Jesus wrote these letters, he wrote to seven churches and he gave them truth. Let's read it together in chapter 2, verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamon write, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. To get started, let's use the phrase that he said, whoever has ears, let them hear. So would you all check to make sure you have ears today? Some of you did. I think this is more than just checking to see if you have physical ears. It's more like the parent who has told the child 10 times to do something and you finally discover that they're not paying attention. And so you look out and you say, are you listening? That woke some of you up. So God is saying to us today, are you listening? This is a love letter. This is a letter written from Jesus Christ. It's a love letter and it's also a truth letter. 
Sometimes we wrongly assume that loving means not telling the truth. Sometimes we think if we just give a little bit of truth and a little mixture of error or lies or something, that it's going to make people feel better. And if we make people feel better, maybe they will feel loved. Ladies and gentlemen, love sometimes hurts. Truth many times hurt. But truth never harms. And if you live by the lie, you're going to live with the harm that comes alongside the lie. This letter we read today is a love letter. It's a truth letter. And ladies and gentlemen, it is the scripture. So to start the message, I want to say today that this letter is a letter of authoritative truth from Jesus who loves us. Jesus who loves us. You see, I can hear the truth from someone who loves me. But if someone doesn't love me, I'm not very much interested in what they have to say to me. Are you all agreeing with me on that? When I know someone has my back, I'm interested in what they have to say to me, particularly if it has to do with something that's going to help my life. We live in a world right now where people do not like to have coaches and mentors, and we don't want anyone looking over our shoulder to talk about the direction we're on because we just kind of like being blind. We don't want to feel bad because, see, ladies and gentlemen, the truth, sometimes it hurts. And we don't want to hurt. And so in our culture today, we avoid pain with everything that we have. And we just assume numb the pain and go down the road to destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, if you get around this church where we preach the Bible, if you get around Jesus Christ, you're going to find out that he's full of truth. But, you know, he also loves us. He loves us so much that he gave his life for us. He gave us truth. No one can come to the Father but by him. He gave us the truth. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He gave us the truth. The wages of sin are death, is death, but the gift of God, there's the love, is eternal life. I want to recommend to you today, get involved with the life of Jesus. I love Danny and Kathy Ham and their testimony. And could you tell they're from Tennessee? I still have a little of that in me. Amen? And it's good. You guys have been so, you make Robin and I very proud of what you guys do in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's not easy. And there's a lot of truth that goes along with it. And it's painful sometimes, but it's always worth it. So let me ask you, what's your roadmap look like today? Are you willing to let Jesus look into you and just talk to you straight on? Are you going to just kind of listen a little bit, let it go in one ear and out the other, and then go back to your world? Let's give uh, the description of the writer here, point number one. Jesus calls himself the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Have you ever heard that terminology before? Have you heard the terminology that says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword? Have you heard that? Jesus is saying here that he is the one that comes with the two-edged sword, the sharp two-edged sword. If you read later on in Revelation, you'll find out when Jesus comes to destroy his enemies, he comes with a sword going out of his mouth, and he completely obliterates his enemies. There is power in Jesus' words. And he comes to bring the word of God to you and me today. The word of God comes to bring conviction. When you pay attention to God's word, when you hear God's word, when you read God's word, when you hear God's word preached, God's word will bring conviction. 
I often say this to people. I love the fact that we do everything we can to make you comfortable coming here. We want the room to be comfortable. We want everything to be comfortable. We have a great coffee shop, great hospitality ministry. But when the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and makes you uncomfortable, that's also what we want to do. Because conviction leads to conversion. You see, God gives you the truth to save you, not to destroy you. Conviction is coming from the Word of God, and the Word of God also brings correction. Some of you might say, I feel convicted today, but I don't know what to do. Praise God, the Word of God will correct you. But if you resist the Word of God, if you turn away from the Word of God, which many people in our world do, you will find that the Word of God, the word of God will be that which will condemn you someday. Jesus says, this is who I am. So when he speaks, we open the ears and we hear. Jesus has great insight, point number two. The first thing he says is, I know where you live. He says, I know where you are. And many of you came in here today, you might think God has no idea where I am. I want you to know God knows everything about you today. God knows where you live. God knows your heart. He knows your heart, whether your heart is fully dedicated to him or whether your heart is somewhere in the middle or whether or not your heart has gone away. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows who's troubling you. He knows where you live. He knows who's troubling you. You see, Jesus said here to Pergamos, he says, I know where Satan's throne is. You might say, Jesus doesn't have any idea of who's bothering me. I got news for you. Jesus does know. Danny and Kathy told us that Satan fights them on a regular basis. And I can tell you this. If you ever get involved with the ministry and give your heart to God and go full-fledged into the ministry of Jesus Christ, you will find the resistance of the devil. But you will also find that Jesus is way more powerful than the devil. And every time you don't quit and don't give up and keep following along, you'll find Satan running from you. Because compared to Jesus, he's just nothing but a little sissy. Some of you probably quote me on that. You won't remember anything else I said. Pastor said the devil's a sissy. <laughs> compared to Jesus, he is. What is it when you get in a fight and you run? That's what a sissy does. Amen. So Jesus knows where you are. He knows who's troubling you. He also knows what you've done well. He knows what you've done well. Jesus says to this church, I know what happened when uh, Antipas was martyred. He said, you did not deny my faith. I want you to know many of you here have your hearts in this thing, and you're serving God, and you love God, and I want you to know Jesus knows that. Jesus knows where your heart is. And the good thing about it is the New Testament tells us that God Almighty will reward us for the things that we do in his name. Isn't that amazing? People like us who were completely going the wrong way had no power to change it. Jesus comes in, changes our life, changes our direction, puts us on this road, and then when we do it faithfully, he gives us a reward. That's amazing. That's amazing. That people like us would do that. That's why we sing that song, Who Are We? That you would be mindful of us. The first song we sing. You see, when you come in to worship God, let's put it in context. We are people who are nothing but dust. Who God has breathed into us life and given us eternal life and given us his spirit. And it's a wonderful thing. And ladies and gentlemen, he's worthy of our worship and praise today. Amen? So he knows what's gone well, but you know what? In this case, he says something about where they're heading. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Let's put this in context. Have you ever gone home and you walk into the house and your spouse is sitting there and your spouse says, we need to talk? 
Have you ever had uh, someone, a friend of yours, text you? And this is the way we solve problems today. It's weird to me. I don't understand how you can ever solve anything with a text message, but we do. But we really don't, do we? And on the text message, it says, we need to talk. What does that mean when someone says we need to talk? It means there's a problem. And Jesus to this church says, we need to talk. And maybe today, Jesus is saying to you and me, we need to talk. The thing about Jesus is, Jesus knows where you are. Jesus knows who's troubling you. He knows where, uh, what you've done well. But he also knows where you're heading. Truth is the roadmap to the right destination. But the error is the roadmap to the bad destination. And Jesus knows which road you're on. Now, somebody would say, I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm not talking about going to heaven because you can't go to heaven without Jesus Christ. And once you have Jesus Christ, you can't go to hell. Somebody say amen. You can't lose it if you tried. If you didn't want to go to heaven, you shouldn't have got saved in the first place. Jesus saved you. You're on that, that road. But I'm talking about what you do with your life. We wrongly believe that because Jesus saves us and we're eternally saved that we have no responsibility to him in this life. And we wrongly believe that life is about me and God Almighty should make me happy. And as long as God gives me what I want, I will do what he wants. And as soon as he doesn't give me what I want, well, I'm just going to have to take it my way and God's just going to have to get over it. And that's what's wrong in our culture today. We have wrong thinking, which brings about wrong believing. We have substituted that God Almighty is the reason for life, and we've inserted ourselves as being the sole purpose of life, and we love to have God tag along. And we love to have God there when things go bad. But you know, God, there's things I want. And I think, God, that you have called me to be happy, and I know you wouldn't want me to be happy. And God, since you don't want me to be happy, I'm going to do things. I know you say no, but you'll understand. That's called doctrines of demons. And it comes from hell. And wrong thinking brings about wrong believing. Wrong believing brings about wrong behaving. And then wrong behaving brings and enforces wrong believing. Do you see how that works? That's why it's so hard to get out of addiction. You believe that you could do this particular thing. You thought it. You believed it. You took it. And then the, the effect of the drug reinforced that belief. Yes, I can do this. Even though your world is crumbling, you keep wrongly believing that it's working. And it's not just addictions, it's your life. We keep wrongly believing that doing things the wrong way, no matter what God says about it, we do it our way, it's somehow it's going to work out right. I spend a lot of time life coaching, and in life coaching, you, it's kind of like mentoring and counseling all wrapped together. You know what a lot of people want me to do? A lot of people want me to take their chaotic, disobedient lives and make it work for them. I can't do that. I can't take chaos and make it work. You have to get off of this road and get back on the right road. You have to get back to the truth. Now, the road to the undesirable destination 
comes through. There's three words I'm going to give you, and I want you to remember them. The first word is called compromise. Say compromise. If you're trying to determine where to put the couch and where to put the recliner, you might compromise. Some of you need some compromise in this area today. When you leave here, you're going to try to decide where you're going to eat. That might be the most difficult decision you make this week. Have you ever been there? Where do you want to eat? I don't care. Where do you want to go? And you just simply can't drive to nowhere. Some of you look at each other. You know what I'm talking about. Compromise like that is not a bad deal. I'm talking about compromising the truth. You see, your life is about truth with Jesus. Compromise means instead of me living here, I want to live here. I don't want to go full-fledged. I don't want to give my whole heart to God. I don't want to give my whole self to God. I don't want to do everything he wants me to do. I'll give him a little bit. Compromise is how we get on the road to the bad destination. Mercy Me did a song called Slow Fade. It might be, it might be Casting Crowns. Slow Fade. And the song is brilliant because it talks about the fact that no one really starts from this road and turn around and end up completely back here. It always starts slowly. Convictions start slowly changing, and we start moderating in our commitment to Jesus, and we start going back this way. It's like the frog in the kettle. As the, the kettle gets hotter, he doesn't know it. And we do this all the time. Many people end up after some time, they go, how did I get over here? How did I get in this mess? Because they compromise. My mentor taught me you compromise a little, you can go a long way, and he's right. You know what's going on in this world right now? The whole religious culture, and I'm going to call it Christendom, has compromised. The standard of God is not the standard of God anymore. We've got our own standard. We've kind of dumbed down God's standards and made it our own. You see, when Jesus was talking to Pergamos, he says there were two main errors in your life, two main teachings that were wrong. You see, before you get the bad behavior, you get the wrong thinking. And he said there were two main problems in the church. The first one was the doctrine of Balaam. You ever heard of Balaam? Balaam was an Old Testament prophet who used his gift for personal gain. And as he was trying to use his gift for personal gain, a pagan king wanted him to curse Israel. Balaam couldn't curse Israel. So what this minister did, he went to Israel and he talked them into participating in idolatry. And he told the king, just bring the Moabite women in and seduce Israel. They will go after it, and then God will remove his blessing from them. It was genius when it comes to darkness, but it was catastrophic concerning the light. What he was saying was, is that you can undercut the holiness of the church. That the idea of of living in the standard, we don't have to do that. All we can do is have a little bit of God and a whole lot of us, and before this knows, we're here and we're here and God's here, and we find ourselves enmeshed in things we never would have imagined. He got the Israelites corrupted. 
He brought them into idolatry. Ladies and gentlemen, you might not think that corruption and idolatry is a bad thing, but it is the thing that is going to get you on the wrong road, and it will eventually destroy you. Sin always brings death. It comes to you, and it looks wonderful, and it puts itself out there, but when you take the bait, you find out there's a hook in it, and it begins to carry you away in places you didn't want to go. Compromise. Very few Christians end up falling from their standing as ministers and their standing of, of being right with God in a day. It takes time. And the way we get there is compromise. We compromise our convictions for financial gain. We compromise our uh, convictions for the acceptance of others. We want to fit in with somebody, so we do something else that's a little less than the standard of God. We compromise for personal gain. We compromise for sexual gratification. Sad that in the church today, the idea of sexual purity has gone away. When I was ministering in Tennessee many years ago, we had something called True Love Waits. And we did our best to teach young people that if you want to ever have a marriage that is healthy, happy, and holy, then you will not play the field when you're not married. So that one day you can have what God intends for you. And you know what? In our culture, we have completely obliterated that idea. And sexual purity is nowhere to be found in our culture today. And ladies and gentlemen, it's producing a, a pain in our country and destruction in our country. And sexual freedom just keeps going on and on and on. And now they're pushing the limits so that anything is acceptable. You may not realize it or not, but those who participate in abuse of children are now lobbying to have their uh, demonic activity accepted in our country. Wake up, church. And some people would say, I would never do that. No, you would never do that. And no, you would never do other things. But all you have to do is compromise a little and you'll find yourself going a long way. If my grandmother could see the television programs that are on today, she wouldn't make it. She's not with us now. And her day was a different day. And we have now accepted and tolerated and compromised things that we never would have 10, 20 years ago. The core belief is this, about this is my life is about me and I should, God should do what I want to make me happy. Compromise. The Nicolaitans were also a sect of people who compromised and basically to make it, long story short, they were those who believed that there was a ruling class in the church who conquered the laity. Nicolaity conquer the people. The idea that there are spiritual leaders in the church that are here and everyone else is here is a compromise of truth. Don't ever think that I'm somewhere closer to God than you are. I am doing what God's called me to do and you do what God's called you to do. We are all equal standing. There is spiritual authority in the church, but I don't have any spiritual authority to tell you where to live, where to move, how to act, other than say, thus says the Lord. We have today an entire system of denominations that never was in the heart of God. I will say to you today, you will not find any reference to a denomination anywhere in the Bible. In the Old Testament, God was ruling Israel through judges, through the power of his spirit, through his people. 
And then they said, we don't want judges, we want a king. We come to the New Testament, God says, I'll rule the church through the body of Christ, through the elders and leaders and people of the church. But the church says, we don't want that, we want a figurehead. We want a denomination, we want somebody to be over us. That is not of God. Denominationalism is not of God. And compromise has not brought anything to us. The Bible says in Jude 1.11, woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. You know, when God says, woe to you, it's not a good day. Compromise brings contamination. Contamination brings corruption. And God will not bless compromise with sin. We move from faithfulness to falseness, from falseness to failure, from failure to futility. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a slow fade, but it's a sure fade. And today, truth is the roadmap to a good destination. I wonder, how are you with your commitment with God? Is the word of God what you stand on and bring your commitment back up to where it needs to be to stay on this right destination? There's a great reward waiting for you. I wonder how we get here. How is it that we learn to, co to compromise so easily? I'm going to give you a new word. It's called compartmentalization. Go ahead and say that for me five times. I wish you could see what I'm looking at. It says compartmentalization. Have you ever heard the term before? Compartmentalization. Have you ever had a food tray at the cafeteria? You got a compartment for this? How many of you guys can't stand your food touching and you just can't do it, right? I never understood that, but I know some people like that. And I don't care. Just make it in the stew as far as I'm concerned. Amen? So you go to the cafeteria line. You got a scoop here and a scoop here and a scoop here. That's the idea of compartmentalization. You have a compartment for each thing. Well, I'm going to suggest, and compartmentalization is a psychological term talking about how I, I have in my own life different compartments that are important to me. Some are more important than others. And I'm going to suggest that the reason why we compromise is because we have compartmentalized things. Let me give you an illustration. Michael, can we put something on the board? This is going to represent, this is going to represent a house which is going to be our home. Because the Bible says that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you all realize that? Some people is like walking around, my body, my choice. If you belong to Jesus, no. His body. His choice. Make sense? Now, there are a lot of rooms. Y'all see this? Y'all recognize this, right? This is like uh, something you'd uh, you know, use to build your house or something. In each one of those rooms, it's a compartment. So I'm going to suggest that many of us have different things filling those compartments. The first one I'm going to say is the pleasure compartment. Pleasure. That occupies a huge part of our life, doesn't it? Now, this might not be the first one for you, but it's the first one I came up with. You see, with me, there's other things might go in there. But I think largely in America now, this is what's most important. And it's going to occupy a whole lot of the house, occupy a whole lot of your life. Not only is there the pleasure compartment, but there is the relationship compartment. It occupies a good-sized place. It's a part of you that is devoted to relationships. And it's so interesting that people today are very, very interested in relationships until they have relationships, then they're interested in getting rid of those relationships, getting a new one. 
Because for some reason, we think the problem is always outside of us. And since the problem's outside, I just got to keep looking until I find the right one. No, here's a better plan. Just be the right one, and God will give you the right one. And God will take one and one and make one. Amen? That makes sense? Anybody want to repeat that? I don't know where it came from. Relationships take a lot of our time. If you spend time on social media, a lot of that is trying to go after relationships, which leads us to the next compartment. How about the social? The social compartment. When's the last time you looked at your screen time? Anybody done that lately? Did you look at it and you say, ow, I'm spending a lot of time on that. You know, a lot of people, they're saying the same breath. I just don't have enough time to do what I need to do. But they've got 17 hours a day on their, on their device. You might have a priority problem. Make sense? In other words, you're putting a whole lot of stock in this social thing that really has very, very little to add to your life. So we got, we got relationships. We got social. We got uh, pleasure. Uh, how about this? Uh, the work compartment. Some of us are interested in work. So we spend a lot of time doing that. That might be bigger in your, in your house than, than in this one. These are just examples. You figure out what makes sense to you. There's also the success compartment. I just want to succeed. I don't want to fail at anything. Um, here's a good one. Food compartment. Some of us get up every day thinking, what are we having for lunch? Amen? Don't we do that? Um, rest compartment. Well, does everybody agree we have these? These are different parts of us that we go in and out of. Did you notice something that's not there? Where's the God compartment? Have we just left God to be this little bitty space in front of the staircase? You know what happens? I hope nobody ever forgets this. People in America go to church they get their God compartment going. They try to get up in the morning. They try to get the kids ready. They try to get ready. They try to get out the door. They try to have everybody in the, in the car before they go. They're usually running late. You can say amen anytime. Usually running late. You can't really say traffic is bad in Metropolis. How be it, if you come out by Dairy Queen, you're going to sit a while. Because Metropolis spaces their cars out just enough to make you wait. Y'all know what I'm saying, don't you? That is every day with me. My anger management has to kick in. And then there's a truck, and I can't go into that. So we've got all of that going on, and we come here, and we're a little grouchy on the way to church. I asked somebody here today, I said, did you wake up grouchy today? And he said, no, I let her sleep. Right? But we got a little bit of intense fellowship on the way to church. Right? But you hit the parking lot. <laughs> good morning. It's good to see you. Praise the Lord. You hit the parking lot on the way out. And some of you hit it pretty quick. God, thank you for this service. Amen. Bam! Amen? You're missing out on cookies when you do that. 
and they're excellent. They're homemade. I, I, you just got to wait. Got to wait. And we get in the parking lot, and we get in the car. Some of you look around and say, the kids aren't here yet. And you know I'm in here saying, get your kids. Don't leave them. Take them with you. And then you try to figure out where you're eating. <laughs> then you get on the interstate going to Paducah. Ah. Surely you guys wouldn't tell people they're number one. Right? And the religious and God compartment has gone away. And by the time you get to work Monday, whatever happened on Sunday is gone. This is our problem. It's time we do something with this house. How do you fix it? First see the destination. See where you're going. See where you're going. Jesus said, if you don't do what I tell you to do, you're going to get the resistance of Almighty God. He said, I'm going to come to you and come to them and fight with the sword of my mouth. Wow. That's heavy. Anybody want a fist fight with Jesus? Anybody want to slug it out with Jesus? I don't want, I don't want to slug it out with anybody. That's why we have great, strong men with our complaint committee. <laughs> you don't like something I say, you have to talk to them. See the destination. If you're going the wrong direction, you're going to get resistance by God. Some people say, I don't know why, but God just doesn't seem to do anything what I need him to do. Maybe you've not done what you need to do. If you get it right, you'll find the reward of Almighty God. He calls it a white stone. The white stone is what athletes received when they won the race. And it would give them admittance to the party afterwards. Y'all want to party with Jesus? I want to tell you, this way, there's a party waiting. That way, nothing but destruction. There's the resources of Almighty God. It's called hidden manna. God will give you things that you can't even imagine. But today, you're going to have to see the destination, and you're going to have to make the decision. Jesus said, here, I'm asking you today, have you heard God's word? Then he said, make the decision. The word is repent. Repent. Repent simply this. It means if you're going this way, this direction, just turn around. It's real simple. You can repent right where you're sitting. You can say, you know what, God? I see the compromise, and I see where it's going, and I see my house. And today, the discipline you need is to clean the house. Whatever is in that great room needs to be exchanged. Take the great room, change it. Get rid of the first compartment. In fact, get rid of compartments and put Jesus over all of it. Hang up a sign that says, under new leadership. Y'all receive the word today? Amen.